I still think that lots, when I talk to young people in schools, even today, lots of them are still looking for that thing that is uh, secure, true, gives hope for the rest of their life. Uh, Jesus cuts through all those other identities um, uh, because identity in Christ for a Christian is is king, really. Um, and I think when you see a young person become a Christian today, uh, I think it's because they go, hang on, what is offered in Jesus is unlike anything else. That hasn't changed. Welcome back, everybody, to the Shock Absorber podcast. It is once again lovely to have you joining us, whether it's on YouTube or uh, listening on your favorite favorite podcast platform. Now, we are continuing our series called Whatever Happened to Evangelism, but we are taking a little bit of a break in terms of looking over the course of evangelism across church history, and we're going to be chatting to a couple of our friends from YouthWorks. Um, but before I do that, before I introduce our esteemed guest, <laughs> uh, let me introduce Tim. As usual on the podcast, how are you today? I'm doing very well, thanks, Joel. Now, we've talked about friends from YouthWorks, but you actually work for YouthWorks. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I I wear two different hats. So, you normally when I'm sitting at the table, uh, I'm as the children's pastor of Soul Revival Church. That's right. But... because I've got my boss here, I've kind of yeah, I've got my uh, my hat on. Of I'm also the children's ministry and uh, primary schools advisor for the Wollongong region in Sydney as well. So that's my other hat that I wear for most of the week. Excellent. And why don't we introduce your boss, Andy? How are you? I'm well. Boss is a uh, term that I find very interesting, but nonetheless, <laughs> I'm good. I had a uh, nice breakfast with Tim this morning. Oh, excellent. And, um, and uh, he's going well. Yeah, well. That's good to hear. What did you guys have for breakfast? I. Bacon and eggs and a coffee. Yeah, oh, they're pretty much the same. Yeah, bacon and eggs and a little Excellent. focaccia roll. Yeah, it was yeah. nice. Bacon and yeah. eggs always a great way to yeah. start the day, isn't it? Is anyway. focaccia making a comeback? Who knows? Yeah, it, it has some other name, but it was basically <laughs> yeah. focaccia. <laughs> I didn't know that was meant to make a comeback, but that's great. Now, uh, Andy, let's actually introduce uh, you to the wider audience. Yes. Um, can you tell us, first of all, uh, what your role is at YouthWorks and uh, what you kind of do day to day? Yes. So uh, I'm the head of the ministry support team at YouthWorks. Uh, which sounds quite broad and vague, and in one sense it is. But uh, at YouthWorks, there's different departments uh, that do different things in youth and kids ministry and camping ministry and schools ministry all over the world, Uh, but particularly in New South Wales and the Sydney metro area. And my job is coordinating a team of advisors that help the local church do local church ministry uh, in their youth and kids ministry particularly and in schools as well. Um, and so I have a team that works here, there and everywhere. Uh, and my particular part in the team, apart from being the boss slash team leader, uh, <laughs> I'll go with, um, is that uh, I do youth ministry advising and high school ministry advising in particular as well. Okay. So how, like, how does that play out during the week? Are you yeah. visiting lots of people? Yeah. So there's a bit of meetings and administration, I guess, in the earlier part of the week. Yep. Uh, and then I teach in youth ministry uh, and schools ministry at YouthWorks College. Uh, and Tim does children's ministry, and so we, we are involved in the training of youth and children's ministers there mm-hmm. um, on Tuesdays. And then on the Wednesday to Friday, uh, I try to get out to churches, uh, talk to youth ministers, senior ministers, uh, scripture teachers about what they're doing, and then give them advice and resources and fix problems. <laughs> uh, so that's, that's the day-to-day. But I guess... Not so much day-to-day, but month-to-month or term-to-term. There might be uh, network meetings, so we get lots of people together for things um, to be able to help encourage one another and uh, resource each other as as a wider kind of group of youth and children's ministers. 
Uh, and then we run conferences and camps as well, like leaders in training camp and, uh, you know, square one and house conference, those kind of things. Yeah, so cool. multifaceted oh, job. Absolutely. Now, I'm going to take a guess there, but you're pretty passionate about youth ministry, I'm guessing. Yeah, <laughs> Is that very true? much so. Oh, that's good. Um, we were meant to have Stu on this podcast. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to make it. I'm um, sad. I missed you. Yeah, someone else <laughs> who's very, very passionate about youth ministry. But I think we're, I think we're going to make a good go of it today. Yeah. Um, now, just before we get into a cultural artifact that we always like to talk about mm. on the podcast, can you just briefly tell us how you became a Christian? Because that's yeah. cool, cool to hear. Oh, yeah. So um, it's a joyful kind of story because I think everyone's story about how they become a Christian is uh, beautiful, whether it's um, you know perhaps simple in terms of they grew up in a Christian family and just stayed Christian, uh, or whether it's a tremendous story of transformation from... Uh, death to life. Uh, all of them are tra- a story of transformation of death to life in a lot of way, in in every way, really. Uh, and for me, uh, I grew up in a Christian family, um, and my parents took me to church uh, at Sunny Dapto, uh, <laughs> and uh, my brother and sister and I we all were part of the kids ministry there and youth ministry at Dapto Anglican Church, um, which was a great church for children's and youth ministry. Uh, in many ways and we really enjoyed those years Um, it was probably a little rocky in the early teenage years in that sometimes I didn't want to go to church on Sunday mornings and I wanted to play sport or sleep in or hang with my mates Uh, but uh, I definitely had a faith uh, and uh, I read my Bible and I definitely trusted in Jesus but I don't think I I definitely was a believer but perhaps not convicted uh, and living my whole life as a Christian and then in the kind of around uh, 13, 14, uh, I went to Kick, uh, the youth conference used to be called Kickstart, and it was the first couple of years it was running, I think, uh, 1993, in fact, I remember. Uh, and I heard a very clear talk about heaven and hell, which was uh, eye-opening for me, just to get those terms clarified really sharply. Uh, and I decided that I definitely didn't want to go to hell and I wanted to be in heaven with Jesus, my family, and my friends. And so I definitely, that would be a decision point to trust in Jesus. And then I've had a few significant faith points, growth points along the way. One of which was when I was 16, my mother passed away um, from cancer and uh, I effectively had to level up um, as a kid to become kind of like a young adult quite quickly. Uh, And I was the oldest sibling, so I sort of helped raise my brother and sister, uh, or rather they helped raise me, maybe, I don't know. (laughs) But uh, yeah, we we grew tighter in one sense as siblings. Um, And uh, my father found church difficult in a lot of ways and still does, um, but we're still a pretty kind of close-knit family. Um, And yeah, I think that... Uh, in my mum passing away, but uh, I remember at my, at my mother's funeral, um, uh, a lady told me that my mother was instrumental in helping her become a Christian. And then a couple of years later, I found out that a couple of people became Christian, uh, became Christians at my mother's funeral because wow. of the testimony of her. Uh, and that helped me actually then think about doing ministry. Um, and so off the back of high school, started thinking about ministry. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's a bit of my how I became a Christian, a bit of the journey. So at that mm. point. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, uh, we're talking about youth ministry today and mm. well, I became a Christian uh, through youth ministry. I'm sure like, Tim, you grew up in a Christian family as you, you explained on the Chip Lunch podcast, but this still it was very formative for you as well. So yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I mean, I've got that story that like, like Andy was saying, yeah, the, you grew up in a Christian family. And so, you know, I look back, there's never really been a time I haven't 
trusted in Jesus, mm. um, but a natural part of that adolescent experience is working out, okay, so this this has been part of my identity because my family formed me this way and, and through God's Holy Spirit has been shaping me. But there's that personal responsibility that really takes on as you go through developmental stages. That um, And so, yeah, so a number of significant factors in youth ministry, both at the Christian school that I was at and also at the youth ministry that I was at really helped solidify that and, and convict me that, yes, this is... Um, uh, continues to be my own and I'll own this and want to go through with it for the rest of my life. Mm. Yeah. I think 100%. there's no doubt that we are, we all agree in the, the importance of children's and youth ministry, mm. which is what we're going to talk about today. Um, yeah. Now, before we get into that, though, the cultural artifact that we were going to chat about uh, was you you, you, you uh, shared with us a story just just before we got on got on the uh, on the podcast, Andy. About does it involve rock climbing? Well, yeah, abseiling off big rocks okay. at night. <laughs> at night, so, um, but it's connected to youth ministry, guys. That's okay. cool. All right, cool. Uh, Let's go. Let's hear it. So basically, a couple of my more crazy youth group leaders decided when they, I was about seventeen that um, we needed to go uh, abseiling off Mount Kira in Wollongong, which is a big mountain, uh, at about 11.30 at night after youth group. (laughs) And we made this decision uh, months and months in advance, not, it was about, we made the decision about 9.30. One guy had some rock climbing gear and abseiling gear, and so therefore we went up to Mount Kira and we hooked up the ropes and uh, we thought it would be a good idea to abseil off Mount Kira at night well the interesting thing is that um you know i don't know about the legalities and protocols of all these things but in the 90s there was maybe less legalities and protocols than there are these days uh but we tried to attempt safety uh and one of my friends abseiled across the top now if you know the drop it's about 100 meters and it starts with a massive kind of overhang boulder and then it's straight down okay uh into Dark trees, really. Um, well, I didn't get that far. So my mate went first and that was fine. And then I went to abseil. And I'd say abseiled, you know, like three or four times before. So this would be fine. Uh, and I kind of bounced a couple of, you know, bits, few metres off the edge. And then I got to the edge of the overhang and uh, I got sort of down underneath it. And I looked down and looked up. And I had long hair at this point. And I thought I'd tied the long hair back. But it turns out that I hadn't tied the long hair back as much as I should have. And uh, some of that hair actually got kind of somehow caught in the carabiner, mm. uh, which is this metal buckle thing for those that don't know abseiling. And sorry if I've bludgeoned abseiling people by saying metal buckle thing. But uh, <laughs> the hair got stuck in there. And as I looked down and looked up and tried to kind of loosen the hair, it didn't loosen the hair. It just got tighter and tighter. And I ended up in like a fetal position ball hanging underneath the overhang looking down about 80 90 meters at night completely stuck and not being able to go anywhere and it's at this point that i thought i was going to die thankfully that didn't happen i'm here today but uh long story short one guy said i know i'll free climb down the overhang and loosen andy now the world's best free climbers can't actually do that but he thought he could uh, but he didn't do that, which was good. The, <laughs> other, the other couple of youth leaders talked him out of that. One other guy said, I know, I'll run all the way down the bottom, which was probably about 10K, and then I will climb up the rope and free Andy with a knife. Uh, and they're all yelling this out to me. At this point, my, I'm actually bleeding now because my hair is starting to rip out of the top of my head. And uh, I'm actually starting to feel a little lightheaded as well, which is not so good when yeah. you're hanging up that high. 
anyway, long story short, the guys basically decided that I was still stuck on it. I wasn't going to drop to the ground and I was relatively light and they were pretty strong. And so they pulled me back up over the overhang. And the problem is that my kind of head and hands just scraped the rock all the way up to the top. And they just used the force of the weight and the fact that I was stuck and pulled me up to the top. And there was blood everywhere, but we all hugged and cried. And then we went to 7-Eleven like all good youth group nights should end and had a big Slurpee together. <laughs> <laughs> what a story, by the way. I was not expecting it to be that that, uh, that uh, uh, scary, to yeah. be honest. I mean, there's no way I'm even going abseiling, let alone doing oh, yeah. it at night. And um, I've been once since with my kids, and I think it was like five metres like, no yeah. more. Thank goodness for 24 hour 7 Elevens, right? Oh, I was yeah. going to say, like, yeah. that's a, you're right. It's a keep Slurpees, even though I don't like them, a key part of youth ministry. Oh. That's been, so, so, so awesome. And we were trying to tell that we were like excited, right? You know, the guys were like, we've saved Andy from, from death. And uh, we didn't need to kind of go to the hospital or the morgue. But um, <laughs> we talked to the 7 Eleven owner, we're trying to tell him the story. And he's like, What are you guys doing? Anyway, <laughs> right. youth wow. ministry. Youth ministry. Let's talk about that, by the <laughs> way, which is a great story, by the way. So thank you for, thank you for bringing that to the, to the podcast. Uh, uh, we're talking about evangelism. Uh, that's the name of our the name of our series or this season is whatever happened to evangelism. Mm. And uh, again, we think that evangelism is something that starts from a very early age in terms of like when we're talking to people about Jesus, right? So, what I'd be interested to start with, Andy, is that how you think perhaps the state of evangelism has changed in youth ministry across your experience over many years? Because how long have you been working in a youth capacity? Yeah, so I started as a youth minister at Kaima when I was 20 and I'm now 42. So I've been going in a couple of different roles, but uh, in youth ministry pretty much directly for 22 years. Yeah, fantastic. Well, that, well thank um, you for your for your service. Oh, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just warming up. I've got to catch up to Stu, yeah, yeah, um, which I'll true. never be able to because he'll keep going and, until the Lord returns. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, that's, um, well I, I can't disagree with that about yeah. Stu because you know, he talks about youth ministry just as much as you have been yeah. in, this, in this particular episode. So, yeah, so yeah. what do you think about the state of evangelism in youth ministry now and how that's changed over your many years? Yeah, yeah. So if I go back to... Uh, when I was in youth group, actually, as a teenager, um, it was a formative time for me. Uh, and I think that our youth group was quite strong and um, it was a welcoming place for people in the community to come. And uh, even at school, I, I got bully, bullied a little bit for being a Christian, not so much in the way that young people are today. I think it's hard for them today. Uh, and it was hard for me back then, but it was different. It was more just paid out that I went to church, right? Uh, but... All in all, people still thought that church was all right and, um, and people, youth group leaders and scripture teachers would come to the school and talk about coming to church and there was always an open invite. The school was quite happy to have people uh, come from the church into the school and invite people to church. It was all very normal uh, and all okay in terms of um, no one really complained and uh, I think... I was able to invite friends and I had limited success with that um, in the youth group years, but I was felt quite free uh, to be able to do that. And um, I didn't really have too many things to fear. Uh, and yeah, I think it was a good time. And it was, a, you know, I saw friends become Christians that uh, didn't grow up in Christian families. And uh, that, that was a normal thing. It happened regularly. Um, and it didn't sort of, it, it didn't even take me by surprise in one sense, even though it is a a miracle that um, Jesus brings us from death to life. Uh, I think that 
that experience has definitely changed for young people now and for youth group leaders now, and you know, this jumping from all the way back then <laughs> to now, but then I'm sure we'll go all the way back as well. Yeah. Uh, I think for now that would, for a youth group leader and perhaps even a youth, that experience might not be as smooth and, and normal. Yeah. Um, it, it's far more complicated is probably the word I would use uh, these days, which is, which is sad. Um, and I think partly it is we are fearful of our, our world and society perhaps um, as Christians in that we feel like that we look like the bad guys sometimes or um, the message we have to say is so jarring against the culture that we're in that um, you know, we're a bit nervous to kind of get out there and do evangelism uh, and, um, and get out there and share Jesus. Uh, and, you know, there are... We're all human and we've all got our own, you know, insecurities. And so I understand the nervousness and fear in a lot of ways. Um, but I think uh, in a lot of ways that's sad as well because we have the Lord of the universe behind us, right? Uh, and so, and it, this is his world. Um, and so we, we should feel free to be his people uh, in his world as we, as we do evangelism. So, yeah, if I go back to being a youth minister in the uh, when I was twenty in the early two thousands, um, it was it was quite normal and quite natural. Uh, meet young people, talk to them about Jesus, invite them to youth group. They became Christians. Um, it was beautiful, and it happened, and it seemed to work. Uh, and it wasn't as simple as that sounds, but in some ways, I was twenty, so you know maybe it was that simple. Um, but uh, things happened, and it was great to be a part of, and. We didn't have fear, I think. And so that's a word that I think has stuck in my mind a little bit over the last 20 years, how the, how the landscape has changed. Um, just so the, yeah, just that's the, early observations. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, that's uh, all right. Just what Andy's saying there, that, do you think that matches with what we talked about in the first episode of this season about the Barna research mm. in terms of people being feeling like they're well equipped to share Jesus, but they don't feel like they can. Do you think that matches with what Andy's saying? Yeah, I do. I think that that, that idea of that fear of um, not knowing how to have those complex conversations uh, and how to have a challenging conversation where you actually um, ask someone to um, make a decision. Yeah, yeah, because there's always part of asking someone to make a decision to change, they're implicit in that is... Um, the way you're living now is not sufficient, is not enough. Um, and we hear that today as, you know, quite a judgmental saying. Uh, and we also live in a culture where we don't want to be judgmental. Where it's like, oh, how dare you judge me for what I believe? My truth is my truth. Your truth is your truth. And so I think that's why we get what we saw in the Barna research where you've got, um, you know, 90% of millennials, whatever the number was, uh, saying... Yes, the best thing that could happen for someone else is to come into a relationship with Jesus. And yet 49% or whatever, something like that, um, think it's morally wrong to actually mm. ask someone to change. Uh, and I think that, that that sticking point is really um, emblematic of what Andy was saying, that we, we've now, sort of in the last uh, 20 or 30 years of youth ministry that you've done, we've seen that shift culturally to where, yeah, we're not quite sure. How do you have that conversation? How do you have... Uh, a conversation with someone else that says actually calls them to a better reality it calls them to a different reality yeah. um, without it seeing like I'm being a judgmental jerk in doing that and, and I think that that's where we're at 
now and as you say the youth leaders and and particularly the youth themselves who as we talk about the shock absorber they're the ones at the the coalface of cultural change so they're feeling this most acutely um how do we help them uh and how do we equip them and how do we be partners with them in doing good evangelism and actually calling people to the life in jesus which we agree is actually the best thing that can happen for them mm. yeah because those youth ministry years the one thing that hasn't i mean there's been plenty that hasn't changed right there's been lots that has in youth evangelism, but the statistics still say 80% or it's around 80% uh, of people that come to Christ came to Christ in the teenage years. Uh, that has still stayed the same. Right. So youth evangelism's still happening, um, but the number of people in all our youth groups maybe is less just across the whole board, across the state as I look at the stats. Uh, it's generally less than what it was, say, 10 years ago. Um, and so the percentage is the same, but the amount of people there is less and it's more people have grown up in church families are Christians, but perhaps the real big gap and opportunity really is the people that have come to Christ in the teenage years with completely non-church backgrounds. Um, that's interesting because that, that's my story, for example. My yeah. parents weren't Christians. And, and I mean, that was even a story at uh at saw revival youth community when we were at Goimir anglican church was that the majority of people there well there was still definitely some um people from christian background the majority of them in my experience were from non-christian background and i think that, that is an interesting point to keep thinking about in terms of that uh maybe we're relying too much on our church regulars and not going out and evangelizing and chatting to people about jesus yeah to to continue to try and hit that mark or continue to increase that mark of people becoming Christians when they're, when they're at that age. Yeah. It's a very formative time, right? Because is that, what, is that why you think one of the reasons why people become Christians around that age? Because it's a, it's a discovering of self-identity and, and things like that? Oh, yeah, very much so. I think uh, young people are trying to work out who they are. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there's lots of things that you can grab onto and even more than there ever has been now in 2022, there's lots of identities that you can grab onto. Um, there's plenty of different gender identities now, which is, wasn't even a discussion 20 years ago. Mm. Uh, and there's plenty of other kind of, you know, niche markets, if you like, in the world that you can kind of throw your whole life into. There's options aplenty. Um, I still think that lots, when I talk to young people in schools, even today, you, lots of them are still looking for that thing that is uh, secure, true, gives hope for the rest of their life. Uh, Jesus cuts through all those other identities. Um, uh, because identity in Christ for a Christian is is king, really. Um, and I think when you see a young person become a Christian today, uh, I think it's because they go, hang on, what is offered in Jesus is unlike anything else. That hasn't changed. Um, and so, yeah, I think I'm just tying back to th- remind me of that question again. Um, uh, I can't remember what the question was. <laughs> um, like you I was linked to the question, but I was just like, yeah. I thought it was a really good point that you were saying because it it makes me think. I mean, we've we've talked. I'm um, back at the very beginning of this podcast when we started. Uh, Stu helpfully reminded me that Jesus doesn't reconcile us to Him; He reconciles us to each other, mm. and that is that that great equalizing power that you're talking about. Is that it's there isn't. It isn't like a hierarchy or uh, Jesus like almost destroys hierarchies in a sense that we, he equalizes everything for us mm. and then we can come to him completely 
regardless of whatever identity we've ta- decided to take on, take on through our personality and our experiences and all that kind of thing, is that Jesus is the one, and I, th- I think that's why it makes sense that yeah. the, uh, the young people identify with that, right? Yeah, oh, 100%. And, um, and, and th- they identify that bec- with that as well because they work out after a while that all those other identities um, have many flaws and they fall apart. Uh, and I remember what your question was, which was why why are young people still coming to faith? And mm. you know what I think we've got an opportunity, perhaps if I can look at it on the optimistic side, uh, an opportunity more than we've ever had before. Because guess what? All the other things around us in the world are falling apart even faster than they've ever before. Um, and so, yeah, in one sense, uh, now's the time to not be fearful, but actually to get out there because. Uh, all the options and all the kind of things that maybe even against Christianity or countercultural, a lot of those things, a lot of those identities, if you can put it in that category, uh, are falling apart faster than ever before. Um, and young people feel, you know, I, I talked to a group of teenagers a couple of weeks ago and I said, you know, what are you all feeling at the moment? They said they're lost. Um, really? Right. Uh, yeah, massively, because the, con- the pe- off the back of the pandemic, mm. there's war, they're like, it's never going to end, right? The bad things are just going to keep getting worse. And I talked to one non-Christian guy and he was like, of course I want to become a Christian because um, he w- and he's really wrestling with thinking about becoming a Christian. And I think he is now, which is wonderful. And he was saying that because he was like, I've just spent the last two years like disconnected with people, depressed, lost, trying to go down you know, every social media avenue of identity I could find. And none of them work. And the thing that's been consistent throughout is my couple of Christian mates at school just kept hanging out with me and asking if you wanted to read the Bible for something to do. Uh, and even that was community that they, that guy hadn't experienced. Yeah, right. Um, so, yeah, I think that's amazing, right? Mm, uh, and so I'm actually quite, you know, I know, we'll keep going through some of the past where we are now, but I'm quite excited about the potential in this next season even though I'm a little bit worried about what's happening in the world at the moment as well. <laughs> There's one yeah. interview that I was listening to this week where uh, they were talking about um, one of the big Ivy League uh, colleges in America. They have a course on basically how to be happy. It's a positive psychology course, mm. first years. And it is the most popular subject at this Ivy League institution. Um, and you know, hundreds of students are flocking to this how to be happy course. Um, and it's, it's not been run by a Christian um, person, but I think one of the things they're even noticing is that here are these elite students, like the, the top of the top at these Ivy League colleges, um, who have you know, been marinating in this cultural moment for all of this time that says, you know, pick your identity, you've got all this choice, you can even choose um, your, your gender and your sexuality, all these things about you, or it's completely up for grabs, you can do whatever you want. Um, and they are all hitting 19, 20 and they are miserable uh, and they are lost <laughs> and they've got no idea what's going on. And the interview that I was listening to was, was from a Christian perspective and they were saying that there's something um, in there that shows that there is, uh, it's foundationless, um, what is currently being sold to young people. And so within that, the actual the hope of the gospel uh, can have traction. If we can get the message through that here is something that is longer lasting, has yeah. more foundation, is more um, robust mm. than what you are cult- currently marinating in, um, then yeah, we can try and stem that tide, not just uh, towards the kingdom, which of course is our ultimate eternal 
hope, but just the, the sadness that, and the lostness that they're currently feeling in this moment, um, actually giving them a story um, and a world which, because it is true, uh, therefore will have ultimate fulfilment. Mm. Yeah. I think that's an example of, we've talked about it many times before, the shock absorber is us listening to the young people who are at the forefront of the cultural change and using the wisdom and the strength of the older saints in the church to be able to um, bring the biblical wisdom to bear on that and how we can adapt to that and all that kind of thing. And I think the two things that you're talking about there are the, they're like, we're, 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 hopefully we are listening to our young people and saying, and they're saying this is what is happening. I mean, I remember, I'm going to plug, plug our other podcast, um, Chip Lunch, where Aurelia, who had just finished high school, and had to do the HSE basically through a pandemic lockdown and all that kind of stuff, was saying mm. very similar things that you're saying, is that they feel, people of that age feel very, find things very difficult right now. Even people that are in uni, like even doing uni online, uh, Braden, our student pastor, was saying he was finding doing Bible college online really difficult. Yeah. It's like missing that social interaction yep. is, a, is another formative part of young people's life. Uh, but I thought, like, let's go back to through to your mm. history, Andy. Um, I wonder, just to lead into that, I wonder, we've talked a lot about listening as well on the Shock Absorber podcast because it's really important to make that Shock Absorber work. How have you found listening to young people um, formative as you minister, like formative to yourself? How, do, how does that help you minister if you keep listening to young people? Yeah, crucial. So uh, listening to young people but and their parents okay, uh, because uh, sometimes you can uh, kind of almost naturally – as you're chatting to a teenager, uh, you can naturally pick up things that they're trying to say but they can't articulate, whereas a parent will say, my teenager is struggling with this, how can you help with that? Um, and so they, the parent almost clarifies what the teenager is trying to say but really is uh, just talking to you. Not to say the teenagers can't be clear, obviously they can be, um, but I've found that listening to both together has really helped inform my ministry over the years. So you're kind of getting it from two different perspectives. Yeah, that's right. And it helps me to go, right, well, uh, if I can simplify it in one sense, I can say that, you know, when I've listened to young people over the years and said, you know, what are your, what are your, what's it like being a Christian at school um, is the big question I ask because I want to know what struggles they're going through, how I can support them to keep going as Christians. And then as I support them to keep going as Christians, help them to then get out there to their friends as well uh, and to share with their friends how wonderful it is being a Christian and, you know, that they might be, want to consider that as well. Um, and, yeah, so I think listening to them in that space uh, and hearing their struggles, hearing their joys and their losses uh, and helping work through that with them has really informed how I program ministry over the years, how I train leaders uh, and then how I talk to the rest of the church about, you know, what's happening with what's happening in the youth ministry. Often the rest of the church wants to know, uh, and I'll often share stories about what's happening with teenagers, um, and that actually helps inform the church and uh, and how we need to do youth ministry as a whole. Because I think youth ministry is part of the whole church, yeah. um, and and it needs to be, um, not just its own separate thing, which sometimes it can be. Uh, and then in talking to the parents. You know, the parents just want their kids to be Christian and have some Christian mates. Mm. If I'm, if I could simplify it that much, uh, Christian parents that is, like parents within the church. Yeah, parents yeah, within yeah. the church. That's right. And so they'll worry about their kids if they're not 
doing those if those two things are kind of not working and interestingly enough if one of those two things is not working then they both don't work um i.e if they're you know not christian they're not going to be hanging out with other christians that much um but if they are christian and not hanging out with other christians uh and have friends that are christians then they um soon fall away in their christian faith uh and so the way that helps inform my ministry is i go well when we're thinking about not just discipleship but then youth evangelism which evangelism and discipleship need to be hand in hand um i'm able to say okay uh guys when you're talking to your friends about jesus you're not just trying to like ram a set of facts down their throat but rather you're trying to say that being a christian is part of being in a family in a community and that is the all-encompassing experience uh and some of those things about having those friendships and being a part of that family are actually the gospel lived out right and so when you experience those the gospel becomes all the more rich uh i think which so that that is that's informed my evangelism over the years um to not just be uh trying to communicate a set of facts or debunk a bunch a bunch of myths but rather to be actually able to you know i feel like we can do that pretty easily most of the time i mean it's not always easy but you can do that pretty well but then you might get to this point and go a teenager might go yeah i know all the stuff i just don't have any christian friends so i don't really know whether this you know living the christian life thing is all it's cracked up to be um and i think if i can tie that into evangelism in the past uh throughout those years and even into the future as well um i think that our young people i want to help empower them and instill in them a sense of confidence to show the christian community to the rest of the community in the, that they live in in the world and say come and be part of this we know jesus and we have uh, a deep fulfilled life in him in part of his family and despite everything crumbling around us uh pandemic war you know money kind of dropping through the floor or you know when people think about money and life and jobs and all the insecurities that can come with all those things we go well guess what being part of this christian community and trusting in jesus this is rock solid um so come you're welcome yeah um yeah and i think and and, and i think like you're saying that you're describing evangelism and that was something we've talked about across this season as well is it not just it's not just the person that's gifted with speaking to many people about jesus it's also how we live yeah and, and like that's something that we've talked hand about a lot, right yeah and it's hand in hand so if we continue to look about your um history in in youth ministry what were the early years like for you and were they uh difficult were you learning a lot or did you just love it and we're just can, like you i mean i suppose with youth ministry it's going to be changing all the time so yeah. you probably are learning a lot and having to change all the time oh yeah and um you know maybe i was learning and didn't even know i was learning <laughs> yeah <laughs> but uh yeah if i can go back i was a youth minister at uh, kaima for a, a few years um uh and it was a brilliant time like i came to a church that had a tiny little youth ministry and they were really just the teenagers that were in the church family um with christian parents and we had this huge high school uh and i was able to teach scripture there which was good and young people showed an interest in wanting to know about jesus and started coming to our youth group and our youth group grew and i was doing that hand in hand while studying at youth west college uh i was student zero 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 three so <laughs> first year year 2000 um somehow graham stanton let me into the bible college at youth works and uh, I was there with a bunch of guys that sort of thought the same as I did in some ways, or at least love God, love teenagers, and love telling teenagers about God. So, you know, mm. 
that's how it kind of started, really. Mm. Uh, While you were there, so the yeah. early 2000s, you're a student. Now, the the generation of youth ministers above you, uh, your Cameron Hislops, Stu Croshaws, yeah. Ken Moses, they Tim all came Hawkins, and visited. They all come and visited. Um, but we've talked a lot about the different types of models that yeah. they were promoting. Um, and you don't have to you know, claim one for yourself. But no. as, as you were watching this uh, generation above you have these conversations, and then as a young bloke just trying to give it a crack yeah. at Kayama, oh, yeah. how did that work out for you? How did you process the conversations you were watching happen? Yeah, uh, and how did that influence the ministry you were doing? It was yeah, it was a wild time in a lot of ways. Like it was so exciting. So I was at Youth First College. There was you know peop- there was a kind of interest in the greater world to have a Bible college to train youth ministers. So I was part of that era, and there was a real sense of trying to grow a new era of youth ministers. So that was cool, and I was a part of that. But then also there was the founding forefathers, <laughs> your Camerons and your Ken Moses and uh, your Stews and others around the place. And um, I just looked up to them, like fanboyed them in some ways and just was <laughs> like, whoa, these guys are doing amazing things. I need to do everything they're doing. So I tried to do everything that all of them were doing because all of them were saying that their model was the best. But I was like, well, it all must be good. So I'll just try a bit of everything because I was also in Kaima, which was maybe a different culture to the other places that these guys were at. And so I kind of had to contextualise what I was, the youth ministry I was doing in that culture um, and so, you know, I wanted to disciple people well, which was kind of a bit of the Ken Moser model. And I wanted to have really good kind of program structure stuff, which I think I picked up from Cameron. And then I also wanted this Jesus community that I picked up from Stu Crawshaw. In fact, I remember one time hearing a story from Stu about how uh, he got the youth group and they all went and sat in the park somewhere for a day and they didn't leave the space that they were in and they didn't have any games or props or activities. They just all spent time together. And it was, uh, and they had the Bible and they had some food and they just enjoyed that time. And I was like, that's, that's what I have to do. So that Friday night at youth group, I remember saying, right, we're scrapping the program. And I like roped out the hall and we all sat in that space. We had food and Bibles. And I said, no program. We're just going to sit here for two hours and be like God's people. This will be the silver bullet. Uh, <laughs> and... It kind of was, but it kind of wasn't. Like it was in that we actually did some amazing stuff together and talked and had relationship and it was beautiful. But also the teenage boys kind of wanted to kill each other and so therefore there was some wrestling going on as well. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that's just an example of that. I threw all these things into this melting pot. But also, you know, I really got what it meant to just be a part of the culture in Kiama and just be a Christian in that culture. So I was trying to surf because surfing was huge down there um i was hanging out with the teenagers all the time and doing life together and um and then i was the the youth minister so uh i was taking everything and trying everything and kind of also just you know eventually kind of going right well my own pathway is a bit of everything plus what i'm doing here um and you know there's been some good things that have happened out of it there have been people who've gone off and done youth ministry in the future and off to Bible college and things, which was great. Um, There's also plenty of failures as well. I definitely made heaps of mistakes and some of the parents at Kaima definitely let me know it when I made some mistakes as well. <laughs> as, they, so, as they will do. <laughs> as they will do. I mean, I was 20, so I was, yeah. I was figuring it out. Yeah. Uh, but That yeah. search for the silver bullet, was that in a sense you thinking, or maybe I should have just figured out my own way from the beginning or that's what you were doing? Oh, I think... No one really has their own, own way, right? Like you've got to listen to the other people who've been there and done it before. Um, But I think 
the way what I decided was I wasn't going to throw um, um, all my eggs into the one model basket because I just didn't think that I could do it myself. Um, I could see the strengths of each of them and so I just wanted kind of the best of each of them, if that makes sense, and hopefully didn't do the worst. Um, so that's that was my own way of doing that. And so in one sense, all those guys that I looked up to, I, I probably... I got on really well with them and I'm still friends with all of them um, today, which is wonderful. Um, but uh, I don't think I ever adopted the exact same model as any of them. I hope that didn't disappoint them. But more, I just had to say, well, I can only do some of what you're doing and not all. And today, we're less about, you've probably already talked about this in the podcast, but we're less about an s- exact model, mm. but more about here's the key principles. Yeah. Um, and I think that, 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 is a, that has been a good evolution in the youth ministry world. Um, yeah, that, I mean that time of like trying to figure it out, um, which I mean they have been called the youth ministry wars. It always it sounds <laughs> a little, little bit uh, uh, violent, <laughs> yeah. which I don't think it was. But how do you think that shaped youth ministry going forward after that? Yes, that, no, that's very important. So I think um, the good thing it did is it actually put youth ministry on the agenda. So in the greater Sydney area, churches went, right, youth ministry is pretty important and these guys are so invested in it, they're willing to kind of argue about it. Uh, So put it on the agenda. So youth ministry is big. I reckon the 2000 to 2010 is statistically um, the largest, the big youth groups were at its biggest peak. Um, If I look at youth ministry over the last 20, 25 years, I reckon I haven't got the stats all to mind at the moment, but I could definitely pull them out and argue that easily. Uh, that was when all the you know the big kind of area, all the all those guys we talked about, all their youth ministries at this big area, big kind of zone, hundreds of teenagers. And this is primarily like a Sydney, in the kind Sydney of area. metro, you know, kind of central coast to the south coast to the mountains, yep. right? Okay. But even in country New South Wales, where I started to form a few connections, uh, a lot of their youth groups were kind of growing pretty well as well, and they knew about the big discussions of youth ministry in Sydney and Youth mm. West College, for better or for worse. It put, I think for better, put youth and children's ministry on the map um, because, you know, there was a desire to get more youth and children's ministers because churches definitely needed them. But also there was all these models out there and uh, college was going to kind of assess them all and evaluate them and, you know, kind of agree and disagree and help shape people going forward. Well, I just benefit, I benefited from that um, uh, in a lot of ways. And I think so a lot of my peers, so guys that are around my age that are still in ministry, which there are plenty of, and particularly a lot of them are still in youth ministry, which is brilliant. Um, they benefited from having a few different guys and a few different models uh, and have been able to kind of take it, um, you know, in some ways forward, in some ways it's not as good as it was as well, and I'm happy to say that. But um, the good things that we've been able to take forward are a lot of those good principles have been able to, you know, hold true going in the future. And interestingly, even though there was disagreements back then, um, now the war is not so much with each other. I, it's not at all, actually. I think everyone's gone, we've got to band together, but the war is actually out there. Out there. Uh, and we've, you know, we've got to band together as God's people um, and do youth ministry together, knowing that it's going to look a little different and that's okay, uh, as long as we've got some key principles um, that we all agree on. And I think that that is the case. Tim, do you have any thoughts about the, 
the so-called youth ministry wars. I mean, so what were the the main the main methods for things like the funnel method or funnel approach? Yeah, so no um, the, the way that uh, Stu will tell the story, and I think it's his term, the youth ministry war. That's one that yeah. sort of he's kind of he's noticed. <laughs> um, but you you had largely, um, uh, I think I've got this right. So there's the, the Tim Hawkins Castle Hill funnel yep. method kind of model, which was go too. go big. Um, so your initial contact with the church is big events. Um, lots of hype. Attractional. Uh, attractional, very little Jesus. So big event, very little Jesus. Right. Um, and then you, you get big crowds then. And so you've got a lot of people that you're able to communicate to. And you take, um, so the, you take that little Jesus bit very seriously. Uh, it's a key part of what you do. You, you need to make sure you speak the gospel. But it's within this context of lots of big attractional things that teenagers just generally want to come to. So now that you've got a captive audience, uh, you tell a little bit about Jesus. And then the reason it's called the funnel method is you start to sort of go down this. And so as, as some of those want to find out a little bit more, you go to the next st- scale. D-teams, I think they called it. Right, okay. Mm. Yep. You, know, you might know some of the detail, I don't know. But yeah. you're, sort of, you're working your way down into further and further commitment, knowing that less and less people will um, want to go down so you'll be losing a lot of the people who just turn up for a sick band night will just go yep that was great love the punk music uh see you later um not come back next week um but as you go slowly go down to more more and more commitment in their level of relationship with jesus wanting to find out more and more and then you get down to you know really solid one-on-one discipleship is kind of yeah right down the bottom um so and then so that's that's the that's Tim one. Hawkins funnel. Uh, over the other kind of side of the spectrum, uh, you've got Ken Moser, Al Stewart writing "No Guts, No Glory," which is don't do those big events. Um, let's focus on the committed Christians that we have and build up from there. So rather than building down from a large, build up from a small. And they call it build, reach, flow. Build, reach, flow. Yeah. yeah. So do you want to explain those three terms? Yeah. So the idea was build up the Christians so then they might be able to reach the non-Christians and then the ministry might flow or rather the word probably should have been grow. Um, yeah. Yep. That was the simple, we got taught at Youth West College. Yep. Yeah. And so that's where um, those who have listened to previous episodes, uh, Stu talked about the bead theory. So you're, you're threading on one person at a time onto this relationship with Jesus. So um, as a committed Christian, I come, I study the scripture in depth with my youth ministry leader. Uh, and then the, yeah, encourage what, who's one person you might be able to build into this group. Yep. So just one person, one person, just a slow build. Um, and so to, to get up from that. And so you have these kind of two polar opposites, I suppose. Um, and then, again, the way Stu will tell the story, and, and I was you know, a teenager at the time, I was unaware that these things were happening. So. <laughs> um, but uh, the you know, Stu is in somewhere kind of in the middle, not – Definitely not either of those. They're trying to form uh, something else, which is this, you know, uh, kind of Jesus people, 1970s inspired commitment to each other, re- high, highly relational, highly friendship. Yeah. And because because we're Christians and because we're, uh, well, because we're Christians, we want to be friends with each other. And because we're friends with each other, we do joyful expression to each other. And that, that uh, commitment to Jesus, the friendship that we have, and the joyful expression of that is itself outward-looking um, and seeking to bring people, invite people into that. So it it kind of doesn't quite fit either of those models, which is why Stu was kind of never quite f- fit, um, and he was kind of a third person in that space. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's kind of the, the some of the major paradigms. I would say because you guys have grown up in it, right? But so you know, I knew Stu back. I met him in around the year two thousand, and um, so I, me and my mates, we called it. 
uh, probably the community model, the Jesus yeah, community okay. model. Yep. So in one sense, I know if he might, he might not have wanted to wed himself to a um, a model per se title, um, but from the outsider, like as in watching, mm. you, you know, watching it, I was like, that's the Jesus community model. Um, and in Kaima, that interestingly actually probably was loosely what we were trying to do. But I was also trying to run some big events, and we were also trying to be attractional. And we're also trying to disciple everyone as well. Um, and, you know, mix success across the board. But it's interesting just that to hear you articulate those models. We, we st- I still think that my peers and I saw that there was a clear model there um, to, to, you know, grab hold of, really. Yeah. Um, there's also incarnational stuff as well. The incarnational model was talked about as well. Yes, um, Which yeah. is kind of a bit of – anyway, yeah. Yeah, so, this, um, so incarnational uh, – I don't know if there was a, a Sydney – proponent of this per se I, I hear a lot of it from yeah you know, so the uk pete ward yeah. kind of idea but um that you need to earn the right to be heard um the, the uh michael frost the Christ- baptist christian church, surfers think, christian surfers is probably yeah you know, we talked about them we had yeah. christian surfers on um talk about that um but yeah so to, to immerse yourself in a particular community to be like them to earn that right to be heard yeah. and then share the gospel out of that relationship young life also the uh, young life and um uh, that that ministry kind of organisation also was that model as well. Mm. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Well, that's a fascinating background. Um, and do you think, in terms of like hearing all those, you actually said that the, the one of the good things was putting youth ministry on the agenda, hearing all those yeah, different that's perspectives. Right. And I don't know whether Stu or any of those other guys who realised that, but for the record, uh, fellas, you did. You helped <laughs> put youth ministry on the map, even if you were. You know, punching on the car park. <laughs> um, no, you were, you're all friends and it's beautiful. And um, and that's good. Like sometimes we have to have the wrestle to get to a point where it actually helps put youth ministry on the map. Uh, and I think um, uh, we're in a different world now. Uh, and I think there, I, I would, I think the guys would agree, youth ministry is harder now um, than it was back then. Uh, and and we we can't afford to battle with each other now. We need to jump off the back of good work done in the past that has got great, amazing, trained youth ministers here, there and everywhere, and we need to actually help young people uh, reach, the, you know, their towns, cities, the world um, with the gospel of Jesus uh, because we're perishing um, and there's a real war out there uh, is, is kind of my take home if you like or the thing that's kind of you know my part that, that's what how my pastors shape what i'm doing now if that makes sense yeah, right. um, you talked about the we don't necessarily talk as much about models but principles mm. and what the good principles of ministry do you want to articulate what some of those principles are that could, yeah what does what good look like i suppose yeah that's right so i think um a couple of the principles uh in no particular order right um, one of them was the Bible's got to be central to what we're doing in our ministry. Um, we, we can have fun, we can have games, we can have a great time together. It's, it's not about not doing that. Uh, but it's about saying the Bible has life-changing, living and active truths uh, that you know, are the foundation for the whole world. Um, and we need young people to know those truths. Uh, and that's what will help them to... St- not just become Christian, but to stay Christian their entire life until they go home to be with Jesus. And I think... At Soul Revival, we articulate a similar thing as Jesus changes everything. He changes everything, 100%. And um, that's got to be the the absolute core principle uh, and bedrock of what we're doing and shape everything you're doing from, 
you know, not just the teaching up front, but saturate everything you're doing in the ministry. Uh, and so, you know, uh, that, that principle has been, I've made sure I communicate that with all my leadership teams over the years. Uh, we will teach the Bible at youth group. We will have a talk. There'll be some discussion groups. Um, we will pray together. Uh, we will do Christian things that the Christians in the Bible have done in the past and will have continued to do that helps them to continue to grow as Christians and stay Christians uh, all of their days. So big core principle there. Um, I think uh, that we will be a Christian community uh, that is shaped by the gospel. Um, we need to be countercultural, uh, which I know you guys are passionate about here and it's been a bedrock of what you've done. Um, and I know that that's what a lot of people are trying to do uh, and what I've tried to do in my ministry as well. Say, uh, when you're at school with your mates, sometimes you'll be in this community, pay each other out and it might be a bit fun, but then you also might be just paying each other out way too much and everyone's, you know, sad and there's fights and disagreements and friendships are lost and uh, it's all over the place, right? Uh, the, the, the Christian community needs to be far different from that. So, you know, not, not being afraid to say to young people at youth group, hey, like, you got to... You know, you might be heaps different to your mate over there. Um, you might be some sporting surfing guy and that guy might be, you know, some computer tech guy. And in one sense, nowadays, they're all the same, right? They're kind of, computer tech guy's the cool guy. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we all, who cares what you're into? You're a brother in Christ. Uh, and that's how, you, that's the lens you look at one another. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's the other big principle that, um, that gospel community uh, is what youth, the youth group needs to be. The, the words today that are used that I was talking about at Youth Leaders Training Day last Saturday is a safe space uh, for young people to be. We never used to use that term um, because in one sense we were not as worried about the unsafe spaces in the world. But there are definitely plenty of unsafe spaces in the world. Uh, and we want to have that safe space where people feel loved, cared for uh, in the context of the gospel, um, shaped by the gospel uh, and shaped by the kind of life that they're trying to live from the God's word. So there's some core principles in there. I, I still hate, say in my kind of, you know, principle statement for um, or kind of key goals for our youth ministry, we still want to have fun. Uh, it's not like the Bible can't be fun. Of course it can be fun. Being a Christian can be fun. We'll have great fun together. Mm. Uh, and we'll do fun activities and we'll do some events and, you know, we'll um, do wet and wild nights. There's plenty of wet and wild. People could do a wet and wild night every night of the week at the moment. Right now, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, you don't need much water. But, yeah. uh, you know, there's, there's uh, plenty of fun things that you can do as a community and that just builds, galvanises uh, relationships. Um, but... Uh, if we're not taking seriously what we do at youth group um, and saying that it's a valuable, vital thing uh, for young people in their development as a growth as a Christian, then, um, yeah, if we're not doing that seriously, well, then we really are just, you know, not doing anything that that's, help, that's very helpful. Um, and so, you know, over the years, lots of parents, I mean, I remember back in the younger years, I had parents say to me, oh, my kid goes to a Christian school during the week. They get Bible every day. So just make youth group 10 pin bowling and, you know, we'll be sweet. And I was like, well, okay, that's fine. But no, like yeah. it's not, uh, I'm not paid to be a youth minister just to run organized activities each week for um, the benefit of little Johnny. Uh, but rather, you know, I'm here to grow disciples of Christ. Uh, and that's what, I think you really want me to be doing um, with your child, and so there. And we want to not just do that for the kids that have grown up in the church, but youth evangelism. We want to actually say to people, right? There's a whole bunch of people out there that don't know Jesus. Mm. 
Uh, and if we believe the words of the Bible and the mandate uh, to you know, be disciples and make Jesus known, then we've got to get out there so, and help young people to do so. Well, and again, we, this season is about evangelism. Um, and we, we, we talked about whatever happened to evangelism, almost mm. like it's disappeared. And you've also shared that youth ministry is harder than ever. Yeah. What are your thoughts about that? Do you think, I'd, I'd be interested to hear why you think youth ministry is harder than ever before, but also what do you think has happened to evangelism? We've kind yep. of touched on a few aspects, but yeah, what has happened to evangelism and why do you think youth ministry is harder than ever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll go why I think youth ministry first is harder than ever to go to the evangelism if I can. Uh, I'll use an example, chatting to a youth minister the other day and I said, you know, have you got many non-Christians coming along to youth group? And he's like, yeah, yeah, we do. Uh, we've got a few, but each teenager that turns up has a whole bunch of issues that we need to unpack first with them before we can get to this point where we even think about talking to them about becoming a Christian. Uh, that is very different to the past. Um, I think the past, young people would turn up and go, oh, like there's a youth group here and they talk about Jesus and then they kind of, young people hear about Jesus and go, actually, that is true and that matches up and in fact that kind of helps solve, lack of better words, some of the problems in my life and Really, I should become a Christian. Now, I think young people, um, and I talked about this last weekend at Youth Leaders Training Day again, uh, young people turn up to youth group and they are battered and broken uh, in lots of ways. And if they come, uh, they kind of go, right, well, I've got all these real big questions about um, all the things the world tells me that I need to have questions about, like gender and sexuality, huge. Uh, and then also, you know, what about these other religions and why, why do Christians hate on everybody like there's this perception that we hate on everybody when in fact quite the opposite, we love everybody, but we've actually got to help prove that in some ways. Uh, and so they're just two of the big areas and there's heaps of other areas as well where uh, a young person, oh, and also the mental health area, again, 20 years ago, mental health was definitely a problem, but not as noticeable or maybe not as talked about. Uh, now it is very much talked about uh, and there are a lot of young people that are struggling with mental health. And so, uh, in one sense, there's some big issues there to help unpack. So there's, I was doing this youth ministry, it was like every single kid, you've got to try to unpack all these issues. It takes months of conversation before we can even get to helping them think about becoming a Christian. That's why it's harder because mm. each youth minister feels they need to be a mental health expert, an expert on all the sexuality kind of issues and gender issues, which they're not an expert on those things. Uh, they need to be an expert on all the current world issues and also be able to debunk all the kind of political issues out there as well. Um, and then somehow prove to the teenager that Christians aren't bigots. Oh my goodness, look at this. How do I get, how do I wade through all of that mud to kind of get to the clean water, so to speak? Um, it's hard. Uh, and that's what youth ministers are facing. And that's what our young people are facing. Our young people are going, oh, I want to tell my friend to become a Christian, but they go, become a Christian, what would it be like? Christians hate everyone and anti, anti this, that and the other. It's like, it's full on. Um, so there you go. That's some of why it's hard. Well, that also um, follows into the, <laughs> the idea of that it's hard to share. Like it, it, people don't feel like they're willing to share, right? Yeah. Is that it's all these... Uh, perhaps the tribalistic tendencies that come out of the, what we're talking about there, but also like the difficulty in actually sharing, or perhaps these things aren't very helpful for you, Tim. Um, are you hearing the sim similar things in terms of like you're um, in children's ministry? Yeah, and we'll we'll talk next week with um, with 
Jen Phillips about children's ministry, and we'll dig into some of that from a, a child's point of view. Um, but yes, I think there's a, as I'm trying to think big picture, yeah. um, there's, a, there's a few different things going on. So part of it is that there's that cultural, how do you actually confront someone else's worldview mm. with your worldview without coming across as judgmental and hateful? So that, that's a big, massive sort of meta question that's going on. Um, I think another question which kind of comes up in some of the things you said, like the, all of the, the, the story, the history that each of these kids is coming with, each of their own um, you know, mental health and questions about identity and belonging and purpose and all those things that they come with. Um, I, I'm not sure if we have yet got enough, a good enough answer and a well-formulated answer for why Jesus is good news for X, Y, Z and, and, and be able to explain those really clearly and helpfully and well. Um, and so I think that's a, that uh, limits our ability to speak into those things well. We, we know how to explain the atonement. Where, yeah, we, we can exegete the Bible. And I'm not sure if we are yet, because there's been such rapid change, um, that we're still working out how do I actually explain in a youth group setting to teenagers, Jesus is good news for this, 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 these kind of things, the questions yeah. that you have, the issues that you're facing um and because we as you say like youth ministers have not been trained to be mental health experts um or to dive into you know political ideologies and all yeah. these kind of things that are immersed in the world that it's the hands are in mm. and so how do we confidently express jesus in there and i had another one but it's gone but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right and that yeah so that i think some of this stuff that we're saying ties back to the so i think i answered the second question first but the first question was um uh about youth evangelism. Yeah, whatever happened to evangelism? Yeah, yeah. And so, how do you do it? So perhaps it got lost amongst all that, um, all those issues, right? Uh, everyone, and I think I think I'm getting good clarity of thought here, <laughs> but uh, everyone kind of went, "Wow, we have to fix all these problems first. Um, and the problems have just kept got bigger and bigger and bigger. But uh, as I said to a friend this morning on a text. Uh, John 16, 33, Jesus says, In this world you will, you not might, not maybe, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Uh, what comforting true words they are. And, um, you know, Jesus is a boss, right? Like, And so you just go, okay, if this is God's world and he knows everything that's going on and he's completely in control, then uh, we need to actually either see through or see above all this stuff uh, and keep preaching Jesus. Um, and so when I think about, you know, whatever happened to evangelism, we got, we got lost in all those issues there. We perhaps also got distracted by all the different other ministry things we could be doing. Um, you know, there are, there are heaps of different types of ministries to do. Uh, and churches look different. So sometimes, you know, people are just sort of dissatisfied with church structures or denominations. And so like church planning has become a big thing in the last 10, 15 years. Uh, lots of guys that were doing youth ministry are doing church planning. Like, that's wonderful. We need more churches. Um, but maybe youth evangelism in particular got maybe absorbed into just evangelism overall uh, when people are thinking about trying to start churches. Like, that's just a question to think about. Um, but as I've seen over the years and stayed in youth ministry, uh, I think the big thing is when I, you know, and the encouragement, if I can take it back to the conversation with that youth minister, as I said, well, um, you, you don't have to answer all those issues of all that of those young people for six months before you can share the gospel. Uh, in fact, we need to start at the gospel. 
And so I'm saying to like my youth group leaders at the moment, I'm saying, I said this to this youth minister and I'm trying to say this to lots of people everywhere. No, no, no. Coming out of the pandemic, coming forward, getting back in person, people are turning up. People have missed being together. New kids are actually turning up because they're like, what is this community? We need to go, right, let's not try and address all the issues first that you're not an expert in. Let's be honest. Let's actually go, guys, just pause for a minute, clear your mind and let me tell you about the person of Jesus and who he is and what he's done. And look at Jesus and look at the life that he lived and how he loved and how he sacrificed and what he did for us on the cross. And then go, all right, look at all the issues and questions and things and lostness in your life and look at Jesus and go, well, hang on. Actually, does knowing Jesus help me to look at all those other problems that are still there, but look at it with a different lens? Uh, And so I've seen some young people in recent times become Christians and go, Yep, I've still got lots of questions about gen- identity. I've still got lots of questions about politics. And, you know, I still I don't know whether Christians are bigots or not. Um, uh, but this Jesus guy, you, I can't get past him. He's unbelievable. That, I reckon, is some of the silver bullet going forward, which is probably no surprise to anyone. Yeah. Um, but maybe we just need to tell everyone, hey, guys, let's get some clarity on this um, and get on our bike. Yeah. I mean, I really love the fact that you're like talking about let's clear our mind of all the issues because it's it's almost like we're at the end of a almost at the end of an era in terms of culturally because we've been told let's let's keep going like let's push things to the nth degree and then perhaps um, the coronavirus pandemic has gone on top of that and there's just like it's like just obl- obliterated people's mind to a certain degree. Yeah. It's like oh, we don't know what to think about anything anymore. Yeah, and I really like the point of like let's bring it back. To Jesus, um, Tim, uh, you wanted to mention something about the post post that post Christian view is something that has resulted as uh, pushing it further away from a. We would say we were a Christian nation back, <laughs> you know, back in the fifties and sixties, but I don't think many Australians would say we're a Christian nation now. What, yes, how like that's also influenced. I think all these particular things that our young people now have to face. What do you what do you think about that? Yeah, yeah, that was my third thing. So I I, I remembered and I chucked yeah. in the notes that yeah. uh, we're looking at together. Thanks to Google Docs. For Thanks to Google that. Docs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Being able to update live. No, um, that was the third thing, and it, it kind of relates. I don't want to distract too much, but the the third thing I was thinking in terms of those big meta questions was, and I, I've used this in training a, a few times that we. It's kind of like the, the Venn diagrams. We've got these overlapping circles, and the over, you know you go back a number of generations, and the overlapping circles between what was a Christian kingdom ethic and what was just the lived experience of Australian society were a lot closer overlapped. Uh, they weren't identical. They've never been identical, but they they were a lot closer together. But what we've noticed, and it has happened, you know. Um, there's, there's a slow build-up that I'm sure we'll come back to um, once we jump back into our history of evangelism in a couple of weeks, but. There's a slow pulling apart, but it feels like they've been ripped apart um, in the last 20 years mm. with a lot of these things. So that in, in the West, we have now those Venn diagrams, there's very little overlap now between what um, the, a Christian kingdom ethic would say, this is what the good life is under Jesus in, as part of his kingdom, and what the West would say, here's what the good life is according to these particular values and principles, etc. Mm. And so when it comes to evangelism then, there's a lot more background work to have to do to say uh, here is here is this Jesus, here's this the Bible, uh, here's the kingdom values. Let me show you uh, not while it's just a little bit better than the life you're already living, uh, which is hard in its own way, but actually 
what I'm communicating to you when I evangelize is radically different to the world that you are living in. Transformation. Transformational. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so because there is that stark difference, um, there's I think that adds to the, the difficulty, but it can also add to the beauty of the gospel. But and like we talked before about the, the happiness class at, mm. at the you know, they they know um, experientially that what they're marinating in is is bunk. Um, and to it's be able to winsomely articulate the gospel into that and say, yes, let me explain to you why you are not satisfied, even though you have all of this choice in front of you, even though you have all the options in the world, even though you're told that you can um, be anything, do anything, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, uh, let me help you to unpack that, deconstruct that, to use a bit of a buzzword, um, that worldview and show you clearly by word, but also by my life and the Jesus-shaped community that we're creating in our churches, why Jesus is better. Mm. Um, and if we can be confident in that, if we can know who Jesus is, and it doesn't mean we have to know all the answers. We don't have to be experts in mental no. health. Um, we can pull in people who are in our churches who have that. Uh, we don't all have to be experts in every area, but we can actually just show how beautiful Jesus is and the contrast now is so distinct that hopefully that you know jesus talks about the light shining on the hill that shines out into the darkness and you don't put the bowl over the lamp because that's you know you you cut out the only hope that the dark world has mm. and that's who we are we're the light mm. shining out into the world the world is getting further and further away from christian society whatever getting, that was it's getting darker um mm. yeah and so how do we continue to burn brightly the light of the gospel into that yeah, that thing of the transformational power of Jesus, which I think was a really powerful thing to say. Do you think, like we're talking about how what has happened to evangelism, that perhaps then might be a bit harder. People feel like judged when you're talking about it. But do you think that's a, like something that we can really hold on to as Christians? That ev- we've talked about the importance of evangelism, but the actual transformational power is something that people might actually be looking for. Well, that's right. Like this taps into the thing I was saying before, the fear thing, right? right. Where we're we don't need to be fearful, um, but I think that we've been clouded over by so many issues and even the perception of Christians in the world, we kind of go, oh, I don't want to stand out as a Christian because people hate us. Well, um, I don't think they, you know, sometimes they hate us, but I don't think everybody hates us. I just think a lot of people don't know what to think. Mm. Uh, and we don't need to be fearful because, as I said before, we're part of the family of God who uh, this is his world and he's the king and so I think when you have that mentality we can say well actually I am going to get out there and get to know people that aren't Christian people I'm just going to live who Jesus are you know live the way Jesus told me to live as best as I can and uh, and when people when that moment comes where people ask you know what is it with the Christian thing you've actually got to back yourself to say well these people like me, they hang out with me, you know. Um, we can we can talk about what it means to be a Christian and say, well, I know you might think differently. I always preface it with, just so you know, like I definitely think differently from you on these particular issues. Uh, in fact, lots of issues, but we're still friends. Why are we still friends? And we kind of talk about that and then work to some common ground or work from the common ground into uh, conversations where non-Christians that are, I thought were deeply against Christianity have said to me, well... Actually, you know, I understand why I've got their faith in Jesus sounds actually not too bad. Um, maybe it's just all the Christians that are a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
<laughs> Possibly we are the problem, but that's because we know we're sinful mm. and those kind of things. So, yeah. yeah, I think that fear thing mm. is a big, you know, when we say what happened to evangelism, uh, we got lost, it got clouded, we got hard, um, and we should have expected it's going to be hard. Jesus says in this world you will have trouble, as I said before. Um, he never promised that being a Christian will be easy, and uh, in the Gospels it talks about how the, the world can hate us, um, but... Uh, but love can overcome and um yeah i think we just got to keep showing that love um and shining that light yeah i do wonder if uh, when we talk about evangelism being difficult i wonder if that is also a primarily western perspective as well like we haven't we've grown up in a a, a, a society that is perhaps founded on christian christian values i think it does get harder but it's not like we are all, it's almost like it's getting to a point where being a Christian in a country that is actively against Christianity, we might eventually get to that point. So I think that's something that maybe we need to obviously keep perspective on is that it's definitely hard, but it also might be a post-Christian thing of terms of uh, our society has told us that we're, we're like we almost deserve to be comfortable. Yeah. And I think what you're speaking about is the fear, that's the fear as well, that we, we, we're, we're fearful because we haven't had to do this before. Yeah, That's almost part of maybe affecting the, the reason for evangelism, uh, yeah. the reasons that we find evangelism difficult. Um, you touched touch on the multicultural, like, well, you sort of, did you say something about different cultures there? Yeah, just uh, in terms of, like, it's not what we've experienced before, but other cultures have. Yeah, yeah, because um, it just made me think that uh, I think that's another opportunity going forward as well in terms of, I was chatting to some friends at Fairfield the other day, and uh, they're saying that, they're in the community all day, every day, just chatting to people in the streets, in the cafes all the time about, about religion and about Jesus because uh, a lot of other cultures are much more comfortable than our Western culture in talking about religion. Okay. Uh, and I then heard another stat from Tim and I were in a meeting the other day with the bishop and he's, we, we were reminded by um, Australia in 20, the year 2050 uh, is probably going to be something like 2 to 3% Anglo and the rest quite different, multicultural, what an exciting opportunity. And so I think there's a real thought needs to go into, okay, what is evangelism to the cultures and in our context, what does youth and kids ministry evangelism to the various cultures look like? Uh, and so I can foresee us eating far more meals with far more people uh, of different food, of different different cultures, which right. would be great. Yeah, we're all we're up for that here. We're all up for more food, well. <laughs> and um, and then talking about our religions. And I reckon that is an exciting new frontier mm. um, that we really need to start thinking about. And also recognizing that a lot of that immigration that is coming is coming from that there are Christians who are coming from other cultures. That's so, right. You know, a huge number of the Koreans that are coming are oh, Christians and yeah. love Jesus. A uh, number of the, the islander communities, yep. uh, the Pacific, um, Melanesian, Polynesian, you know, that are coming, you know, they, they love Jesus. And yep. so um, we can actually be, uh, this is part of that shock absorber as yeah. well, in cultural shock absorber, is that, you know, as, you know, as the white um, part, the white European Australian does... Uh, the percentage you know lowers that doesn't necessarily mean that the church is lowering actually That's the right. church may grow stronger mm. because we have non-anglos coming with their cultures you know, and with their christianity and be able to shape us yeah as a church and it should it shouldn't be a surprise because god is a god of all nations right absolutely <laughs> yeah that's right. and so we just get surprised because we've been living in our own little microcosm uh <laughs> and just kind of doing what we do in our own little culture um but uh 
Again, youth ministry will shape the way as it often does. It'll be the shock absorber because uh, I've talked to, you know, I've watched out my own youth group definitely change culture over the last few years. Mm. And uh, my own kids, I've got three sons and, you know, they're after school, they've, uh, they play, there's a group of about seven or eight friends and they're from six different nationalities right. and they don't even see the colour of their skin with each other. They don't even, you know, they enjoy the differences of their culture um, uh, but they don't even, they can't even articulate that they're from a different culture. They're just all mates at school together. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, yeah, again, Youth and Kids Ministry, I think, is a, is a great platform to kind of, shock the rest of the church uh, into evangelism going forward yeah, uh, once again. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, let's, to wrap up this episode, I'd just love to get your like, quick hitting points, I suppose, of like, where do we go next with evangelism in youth ministry? Like We've, we've talked about a number of them, but where, what's the one thing that you haven't said yet that you want to really say about youth ministry? Yeah, I was trying to think of all the things in the... In the um, you guys have got the computer and I'm trying to read minds. <laughs> uh, I think... Yeah, there's a there's a few things. So talked about the multicultural frontier. I reckon that's exciting. I'm interested to see about that. Mm-hmm. I think coming out of the pandemic, I was talking to a teenager last week, and he was like, "Pandemic, pandemic's easy. Look at the war we've now got to deal with, which is going to become World War Three." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Well, calm down." But at the same time, like people are moving on to the next thing uh, and the next problem, and there's going to be more and more problems occur. And so there's an opportunity there to be able to say, "Well, hang on." All this stuff is falling apart. All the, the affluent culture we live in, we're almost told by the Western world that we're meant to be rich and have plenty. Well, that'll all fall apart as well as the economy changes and things like that. Sam will sound all doom and gloom, but uh, <laughs> these are opportunities, um, I think, for evangelism going forward. So there's a few of those things. I think in terms of the model of our ministry in our churches, uh, I think there's two areas that they're a bit different but um, one is we haven't really talked about youth events the history of youth events because had a bit of a interesting past like at one point the you know in the 90s black stump all those kind of things youth events were the best um, but they also kind of had some collateral you know big front door big back door kind of mentality uh, I think I've I've always liked big youth events I think that uh, I've been involved in Kick the youth conference for about 15 years now, and um, one of the big things there is that we help churches, uh, little youth groups here, there, and everywhere, teenagers to feel like they're part of something bigger. Um, there's a real opportunity for evangelism with events in the future. I think events can, you know, look different in different eras, um, but I think we need to not be scared of them again, but use them for as platforms for uh, our purposes in evangelism. So there's events as well. Uh, and then I think as we think about uh, multiculturalism, then that leads me to move into thinking about the family and intergenerational ministry as well. And I know you guys have probably talked about that a bit here. And Very much. Yeah, and I think uh, I'm excited to see, about, to see how, how youth ministry could evolve and grow and as we think about intergenerational ministry. I've noticed a lot of youth ministers around the place, their job description has changed to youth and families pastor. That's been happening a bit. Or children's and families pastor. And I'd like to think that that's a, you know, just a little kind of um, bracket creep, if you like, into uh, being more intergenerational. Uh, and intergenerational ministry and you know, again, is continues to be countercultural to the rest of the world. The rest mm-hmm. of the world is like, well, we need to have age-appropriate things for here, there, and everywhere. Um, but I also think, on the other side of that, though, when you look at, you know, I'm part of a hockey club, and the best thing about that about the club is, and they keep saying we're a family club. 
My boys go to Nippers on Sunday morning. We go to church on Sunday afternoon. But at Nippers, it's we're a family. Uh, I think that everyone wants intergenerational kind of feelings or you know, intergenerational culture, rather, in every club or activity that they, they do together. But I think the church has an opportunity to do it the best um, and to model it to others. And so I'm keen to see how youth can be involved in, in the whole church. And I think that there is a bit of an appetite for the church to let youth be involved in setting the direction of the church a bit more as well. Yeah. And I'd like to think that that means that it helps our church to think broader about evangelism to tie it back into that. Mm. So events, intergenerational ministry are two other areas that I've been thinking about uh, uh, off the back of some of the other things I mentioned before about seizing the opportunity that we have at the moment in the crisis, the multiple crisis the world is facing, uh, and also coming back out of COVID uh, and saying, right, well, everyone's missed being together in every context in their life. Well, Come and be part of youth group. Um, that's the place to be. Yeah, awesome, fantastic. Tim, final thoughts to wrap up the episode. Oh, I don't know if I want to steal any thunder that just oh, got dropped then. So yeah, just machine gun. No, that was excellent. That <laughs> was, was excellent. I, probably the only other thing that I've, I've had in my mind over the last few minutes as we've been chatting is Paul's words to Timothy to preach the gospel in season and out of season. Um, and I think that... Perhaps potentially, you know, now in the 2020s as opposed to the 2000s, it might be more of an out of season than it was more of an in season. Perhaps, um, you know, obviously God can do great things. And one of the themes, Joel, that you've picked up in our uh, tour through evangelistic history is that it's these low moments of culture where revivals start to spark and happen. Started by prayer. Started by prayer. Mm. Yeah, um, when when culture feels like it's. Um, deteriorating and falling apart you know Christians the only thing they have left is prayer um, and then God uses that to spark these little you know revivalist moments which is fantastic but mm. yeah it, whatever it is this moment um, if it's an in season if it's an out of season we preach the gospel we, we preach the gospel we live the gospel we are the gospel we are the church um, the to jump on my uh, intergenerational high horse, you know, it's <laughs> great that all of Andy's you know extracurricular clubs are saying family, mm. um, and for the church to be a family is not just picking up on the latest buzzword. It's actually that's exactly what Paul calls us in the New Testament. He says that we are the household, we are the family of mm. faith, we're the family of God, and so yes, we have that opportunity to express that. Um, so there's a few thoughts that were nowhere near as good as Andy's. Oh, that was still, still very, very <laughs> Almost, appropriate, I think. Yeah. yeah, that was great. Um, so, guys, to wrap it up, uh, YouthWorks, if someone wants to get involved in under, like learning more, training more, yep. to Andy, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, so uh, the easiest way is um, on the YouthWorks website, youthworks.net. It has myself and Tim's uh, details there to get in touch. And then on there, it will show you all the different ministries that YouthWorks is involved in, camping, uh, all the campsites with schools and churches and youth groups and kids groups. Um, and then there's the YouthWorks College training youth and kids ministers uh, and scripture teachers. Um, uh, and then uh, there's the resources that we provide um, in publishing. Uh, and I'm missing something. What else do we do? YouthWorks. College. Year 13, year, th year 13 for people coming out of school. There's all those things. And our team kind of works across all of those group ministries uh, in different ways. But we do that 
in the context of helping everyone at local church first. Um, and so if people want to get in touch with us to talk about how their youth group's going um, and what help we can give them, we can do assessments. So we've got a, um, a couple of tools that we can do. We've got a thing called Effective Ministry Tool um, where we can do an assessment, which really you know, sounds formal, but the idea is to kind of help you work out what you're doing well and help you work out what you need to work on. Mm. Uh, and a lot of people actually, interestingly, one of the things they need to work on is youth evangelism um so that's part of that and so we then can give them resources and tips we're not just here to have coffee and kind of you know shoot ideas into the sky and do nothing (laughs) we want to do that but we want to actually do that to help land things with you and help you to help your youth and children's ministry Uh, and the other thing is scripture um in schools uh i've been saying to everyone everywhere from the rooftops as hard as i possibly can uh scripture is back on the agenda uh yeah a lot of schools are kind of um yeah, getting back on track with scripture, uh, scripture in schools, which is great. And so if you want to be involved in that, uh, you can contact us and we can put you in touch as well. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we're here to help people do ministry in their churches. But also, if you want to think about doing youth and children's ministry uh, as a career, we're here to help you think about that and, and give you a pathway towards that as well. Awesome. Plenty going on. Which yeah, is fantastic. lots going on. Uh, including a podcast, Tim, that the YouthWorks is doing that you are hosting. Is that correct? Yes. Yep. So there's a, we, a, with my YouthWorks hat on, um, co-hosting another podcast called the Effective Ministry Podcast. Um, so we can chuck that link uh, below in the show notes. But mm. that is from YouthWorks, from our team. Um, so Andy and I, Al James, and I'm one of the key co-hosts there. Um, helping have those conversations which will help have effective youth and children's ministry in the local church. Um, so we've just uh, this week was the first of a four-week series looking at intergenerational ministry. <laughs> um, and so Al and I have just had a conversation about intergenerational ministry. What is it? Uh, look at some of the foundational stuff. Um, so that's uh, yeah out there as well. The last two episodes have been how do you help children to pray? How do you help teenagers to pray? There's a number of others that are in the pipeline at the moment coming out in the next few weeks. So, yeah, if you want to think more specifically about children's and youth ministry in the local church, um, then YouthWorks Effective Ministry Podcast is where you can go. Awesome. Cool. Well, that's great. Well, thank you very much, guys, for joining us. Thank you, Andy, for being our guest. Oh, we pleasure. Thanks, Joel. Love, love having a great chat. So it was really yeah. good. Thank you also to everyone that's been listening and watching. Make sure you subscribe to the YouthWorks Podcast, Effective Ministry Podcast. Subscribe to our podcast. Subscribe to any other Christian podcast you like, <laughs> um, but uh, although you can listen to your ones, but don't, you know, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, YouthWorks <laughs> and uh, Soul Revival Church definitely listen to those ones. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, thank you very much, as I said, for listening and watching. Uh, you can visit shockabsorber.com.au to sign up to the mailing list if you're interested in continually getting more resources that we're trying to put out. Uh, you can also email me with a question or any ideas that you have, which is joel at shockabsorber.com.au. Uh, you can jump on the Discord channel where we are uh, happy to... There's quite a few questions coming through now, especially from Leonie, so shout out to her um, from our church. She's putting up plenty of chat about that. But uh, we like to finish every episode, Andy, with a one-way. You're familiar with the one-way? Oh, yeah. So that's, that's what we'll do. So thank you very much for being on and one-way. One way.